Good morning, Brookside. Work out with Steve, you get to be big like Kyle. That's pretty cool, right? Well, um, I just want to echo what Kyle said uh, just about the connection event. You know, just speaking from personal experience, um, there's uh, been a lot of impact, I know, on my own my own walk with God um, as a part of being in a, a small group over the course of many years. And so I would encourage you equally, uh, to, boy, get involved, get connected, uh, make that connection event just something you can attend if you're not in a group, and I and, uh, would really encourage you to do that. Well, um, I'm, I'm really excited about the, uh, the, the text that we're going to look at this morning. Um, I really believe that God um, can use it and will use it in a significant way in, in our lives um, here today. And so before we begin, I'd, I'd love for us just to go to the Lord and um, as we prepare our hearts to, to hear from His Word and, and just ask Him to speak to us. But I also want us just to stop for, for a moment and um, to pray for a family in our church. Um, many of you know Tom and, and Vicki Salestine. Um, they lost their son tragically <clears throat> this week in a, in a hit-and-run car accident. And, um, and so we want to pray for them. Um, we want to pray uh, just God's grace on, on them and as they... Just go through everything that they're they're going through. So, um, as their church family, would you would you join me and um, and let's let's pray together. Lord, we um, we come before you this morning, and uh, Lord, first we just want to say, Lord, you are worthy of, of our worship, and um, Lord, we're grateful this morning that you you care for us. You know us all by name here today, and um, Lord, there are people that come here today and, and they've had a great week, lots of joy, and then there are others who have had an incredibly challenging week, and. Um, Lord, we lift up Tom and Vicki to you this morning, and Lord, we know that you will meet them in their place of grief, and you will bring comfort, and we would pray, Lord, that uh, your presence would be undeniably real to them. Lord, we lift up their grandson, Trey, to you who's lost his dad, and um, Lord, we pray that that young man would grow up to be a man of God, and we pray your grace upon grace on his life, Lord. And so, Lord, we commit the South Scenes to you, and um, we love them, and, and we know you do, and so we, we commit them to you. And now, Lord, as we, as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, I, I pray that you would give us wisdom this morning um, to listen and to hear. And, but then I pray to God that you would give us courage. Um, I pray that you would give us courage to take your word seriously and, and to really apply it to our hearts and to our lives, Lord. So we thank you for it in advance, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I was meeting with a, a, a guy this week, and, and as we were finishing up our meeting, he, he said to me, he said, Jeff, I'll be praying for you for Sunday. And, um, and I, I said to him, I said, thank you. I said, I, I really think it's maybe the most important opportunity I've ever had in, in sharing God's word with people. And um, I, I think you'll understand um, why as, as we jump into this, this um, really important passage. This morning what we're going to do is we're really going to focus on one particular passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And um, I would not have said this before this summer when we did this series called Life Verse. Um, I would have never said probably that, that I had, had identified one verse that I would say, wow, that's my go-to verse. That's the, maybe the most important verse to me in, in the entire Bible. I don't know that I would have ever had identified a verse like that. But we were in that series, and so I was wrestling through what would mine be, and, and uh, quickly latched on to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 58, and lived with that for now for several months. And I got to tell you, it's that kind of verse for me. It's a standout verse. It's, it's one of those verses that I believe everyone should know and, and should understand because when things get tough, not if, but, but when life kind of brings its challenges, it's the kind of verse that you really want to have in your mind. Um, I would describe this verse like this. It's inspirational. I would say it's motivating. It's the kind that you, you read it and you go, wow, that's memorable. It's the, the kind that gives you drive and passion. It gives you focus. 
It's also very reassuring. It's, it's solid theologically. It's, it's one that I would say it's kind of like a true north verse. You know, you're going through life and you get this opportunity or that opportunity and, or this distraction or that distraction. And, and this one, just, this verse, it's true north. It leads you in the right direction. It's a long haul verse. It's not good just for a phase of life. This one is good for all of, of life. Very applicable. And rest assured, you might be wondering, is it a high challenge verse? And I would say to you, it is, yes, it is incredibly high challenge. This verse is more than a good quote or a clever saying. I heard a, a very well-respected and, and just a very seasoned pastor. He's, he said this, he was giving a message on this verse. And, and he said, you know, and, and when I, I've been, as I've been doing ministry over the course of the decade after decade, he said, there have been times when I've just felt like throwing in the towel. There have been times where it was just too much and I wanted to give up. It didn't seem like it was worth it and I just wanted to call it quits. And he said it was this verse that brought me back time and time again and it kept me in the game by God's grace. Now don't worry, this verse isn't though just for pastor types. This verse is literally for everyone. Paul's audience is very broad in this passage. You could think of it like this and we all know, even as Kyle said, that you don't want to go through life alone. It's good to go through life with the right people in your life, the right people to encourage you and influence you. But I also think that it's true that we also want to go through life with certain truths that direct us, certain truths that we have in our mind that continue to, to bring us back to the right place or continue to inspire us or encourage us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 is one of of those verses. If you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're in the business environment or construction or public service, this is the kind of verse that you would say, it's a keeper. It's one you don't want to, to not have in your mind. And so before I build it up anymore, let's finally get to it. Here it is, the last verse of chapter 15 uh, of, the, of uh, 1 Corinthians. Here it is, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And the thing that, I, that really stands out to me about this verse is it's, it's really a call to give our very best. It's a call not to simply go through life kind of lazy and half-hearted and, and, and just kind of self-indulgent. It's, it's not a call to do that at all. No, this verse, honestly, it kind of gets in your face in a big way, actually. It's, uh, it's a bit forceful. But at the same time, this verse is incredibly reassuring. This verse brings an incredible amount of encouragement. It's off the charts in that. This time of year, um, college football is gearing up. And, and I don't know about you, but one of my favorite parts of watching televised college football is when they have the coach mic'd at halftime. And so they're in the locker room, and oftentimes the coach will do this. Oftentimes he'll, you know, say three, four, five, six sentences about how it's going. He'll talk about the half, and this is what we're doing well, and, and he'll kind of lay out the facts of what's been happening. But then he'll turn the corner, and, and there'll be this two-sentence maybe words of inspiration, words of encouragement. Okay, in light of what's happening, he'll say something inspiring. You know the plan now. Go out and take the hill or whatever. I don't, it'd be better than that, but you get the idea. I had a, a high school football coach that was, he was good at this. And he would gather the team together and he would, he would paint reality as clear as day for us. And then, lots of times, with very colorful language nonetheless. And, and then he would say to us, and, and everyone right after this would just go nuts. He would say to us, now go out there and do it, whatever he would say. And it was, it was inspiring. The locker room would go nuts. In this chapter, I think of it like this. The Apostle Paul, he lays out the facts for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's really acting in that manner. 
Throughout chapter 15, Paul gives us great reason then for why he ends the way he does. He lays out the facts, but then he ends with a huge bang with the words that he chose. And we know that because if you look at the very first word of verse 58, it's this. It's the word therefore. And so in, in order for us to understand the significance of verse 58, We've got to understand the point that Paul was trying to make in the rest of the chapter. Well, what's the, what would you say is the larger context? What are the facts? What are the, 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 the things that led Paul to this concluding charge that he gives us? Now, just a side note, and I would encourage you today, go home and read the entire chapter, verse, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And what you'll see is that Paul, he starts with his intensity right, maybe about right here, and it just goes up and up and up. And the reason why is this. He wants his listeners to make sure that they understand what he's talking about. There's so much at stake, and so he doesn't want anyone to miss his point. This is how he starts off. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. He's saying, I want to remind you of some very foundational truths, some some very foundational truths about Jesus Christ who has changed your life. I want to remind you of the core truths of Christianity. And then he goes on, verses 3 and 4. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, pay attention. This is top priority. This is what I passed down to you, that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul is reminding his readers that Jesus died for their sins, but even bigger than that, he's saying equally, equally huge importance is this, that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. Without the resurrection, Paul later says, our faith is futile. Our forgiveness, it's not even, it doesn't even happen. It never took place without the resurrection. But that's not just his point. It doesn't stop there. It's much more personal for you and I. To summarize chapter 15, Paul is saying Jesus Christ was resurrected. He died for your sins. He was resurrected from the dead. But also you and I will one day be resurrected and we will stand. When we die, we will stand before God. We will all one day be face to face with our creator. Every single person, we will give an account for our behaviors. We'll give an account for our life. That's his main point. He wants everyone to know every single person after they die will one day, right away, stand there right before their creator. He explains it like this, verse 52. He says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, upon death you and I will stand before God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 even expounds on it even more. And the reason why Paul is making such a big deal about this, the reason why Paul doesn't want any of his listeners to miss this is because the dominant view of their day was that when you die, and I would say the dominant view of our day, arguably, is that when you die, you just die. And that's it. There's nothing more, there's nothing less. Put dirt on the box and move on. Nothing more, nothing less. The switch goes off, the switch gets flipped, the lights go off, that's it. Nothing more. And Paul says, well, if that is true, if that is the case, then it doesn't matter how you live then just do what's most satisfying to you. If Adolf Hitler and if Billy Graham have the same destiny, then what does it matter? I mean, if the outcome of the person that is the most abusive person on the planet, if that outcome is the same as the person that you and I would say that we highly esteem, 
And it doesn't matter how you live your life. Don't worry about it. Surely don't fuss over it. If there is no resurrection and we all just face nothingness for all of eternity after we die, then don't worry about it. What is the big deal? Verse 32. If there is no resurrection, Paul says this. He quotes it. He says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. That's it. If when life is over, if when the switch gets flipped, that's it, then live however you want to. Eat, drink, and be merry. Don't have a care in the world. Live for you. Be self-indulgent. Do whatever you would say makes you most happy. Make that the end goal of your life. This was the dominant view of the day, and as you can imagine, it led to some very crazy things in their culture. But like many of you, the Apostle Paul knew that things would end up differently. And Jesus Christ had changed his life, and he knew what was coming, and he knew that it wasn't nothingness for all of eternity. And so by all means, he's saying, this is not true. I mean, that's, this is nonsense. Christ died, and he was resurrected, and we will all also be resurrected. Paul is making it emphatically clear that when you and I die, it's not just the flip of a switch and it's over. No. Every single person, really, every person, Paul? Yes, every single person will one day stand before God and Jesus Christ will be on his right hand and we will give an account for our one and only lives and how we lived it. Sobering reality, huh? Paul explains it more in verse 20. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, this would, have been, this would have been sort of an aha statement for Paul's listeners. If you were in Paul's culture, let's say, and, and you had a, a crop of corn, what you would do is this, and, and this would, that's why this would have made very, very clear sense to Paul's listeners. But if you had a crop of corn, what you would do is when that crop was ready to be harvested, you would go out and you would find the best piece of corn, the best ear of corn. And you'd take it off the stalk and you would bring it in. And, you, and with a big gathering there, you would celebrate and you would raise it maybe up in the air and you'd say, wow, we dedicate this crop to the Lord. This is the first fruit. And then after that, you would bring in the rest of the harvest. And here's what Paul was representing you wouldn't bring in the rest of the harvest until you had done the first fruits. Until you'd brought in that one piece and you'd said, wow, this is what the rest looks like. And now what we're going to do is we're going to thank God for the way that he's provided for us. Paul is saying this, Jesus Christ is the first fruit. And just as the first fruit of the field is harvested first, so too Jesus Christ was first. But the entire harvest, everyone Everyone, all of humanity will then be harvested without exception. That would have made a lot of sense to those listeners. When you and I die, it's not over. The switch doesn't just get turned. There is so much more at stake with this life. So in light of that, Paul is calling his followers to do some things with their lives. Paul is calling us to live differently, to live with a different perspective. He's calling us to live with intentionality. He says this, he says, therefore, in light of all of this, in light of what you will one day stand before a holy God, in light of that, he says, therefore, powerful, sobering reality. In light of the fact that one day you will give an account for your actions, the one and only life that you've lived and how you've spent your days, Paul says, therefore, stand firm. 
And then he says, let, let nothing move you. Stand firm on what, you ask. Don't be moved by, by what? What are you talking about, Paul? Paul's talking about our core beliefs. Stand firm on your core beliefs. He talks about them in verse 3 of chapter 15. Stand firm on the fact that, that Jesus Christ died for you, that, that you're forgiven. I mean, think about that. You're forgiven for the wrongs in your life. Paul would say this, don't treat that flippantly. Don't just kind of go, yeah, I'm forgiven. And I, you know, I came to know Christ years ago, and, and I sort of moved on. I'm good with God. No, Paul would say, no, no, revisit that. Let the reality of the fact that you've been forgiven, let it rock your heart on a continual basis. Through Jesus Christ, you are forgiven for the wrong in your life, in my life. It's, it's huge. Think about this. The love of God was so great for you and I that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. But that's mind-boggling. The son of God. Stand firm on the fact, Paul would say, that Jesus Christ was resurrected and stand firm on the fact that one day it's not just over and it's over. No, one day you too will be resurrected and you will stand before him. And when the, the current of culture leads you to the idea just to say, hey, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die, as Paul quoted it, when that happens, he would say, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Maintain your course. Students, adults, when, when everyone around you is living for the next thing and, and they all just, they're all about their own gain, Paul would say to you, no, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Stand firm to the core things that you believe. When you sense God nudging you to live for something beyond yourself for a greater purpose, don't just gloss over that. No, he would say, stand firm. Respond to that nudge from God. Let nothing move you. Paul goes on, stand firm, let nothing move you. And then he says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. I mean, some pretty strong words here, huh? I mean, he says, always give yourself fully. I mean, it's, it's full on, it's intense. I think the greatest motivator to always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, which is a process, right, is realizing the times when Jesus made a conscious decision to give his best for you and I. You know, as I've thought about this passage, I've had this image in my mind, and I'm just trying to picture what's it going to be like? I mean, what's it like when that moment when you die and you're, you, you're conscious and you're, you're standing before God, what will that be like? And I keep thinking about the fact that we're going we're to be there before God the Father, and Jesus Christ will be right there on his right hand, and we're going to be able to see the marks in his hand and in his feet. The Apostle John said this in the book of Revelation. He said, I saw Jesus, and it was as if he had been slain right? You're still going to be able to see. And I think in that moment before Jesus Christ, I think it's going to be overwhelming. And you know, we've heard the stories and we've read our Bibles probably and, and whatnot, but I think that moment's going to be overwhelming of the sacrifice of our, son Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ for you and I. I think it's going to be more than we can handle. Post-resurrection when Jesus appeared to Thomas, Thomas said this, and Thomas, Jesus said, look, Thomas, this is for real. Look at the holes in my hands and look at my feet and you can touch them. And, and Thomas proclaimed, he said, my Lord and my God. It was overwhelming to him. Jesus could have aborted the mission of going to the cross at any point, but he didn't. Last night we were just uh, doing... Um, uh, just the kids' storybook Bible with our, our children, and, and um, 
And they, one of them happened to pick this story of Jesus going to the cross. And as we talked about it, you know, we just we made it really clear. And then the kids were the ones chiming in. They said, he, he could have he gotten down, couldn't he? I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, he could have gotten down. He could have chose a different mission if he wanted to, but he didn't. And I think when we stand before Jesus face to face and we see him, I think the reality of the magnitude of the love of God is going to hit us. The journey that Jesus walked giving his best for us, I think, is great motivation for us to give him not our leftovers, but our absolute best. Bob Goff put it this way, one of the guys at the Leadership Summit. He said, live a life worthy of the life that has been given to you. Very simply, right? Live a life worthy of the life that has been given to you. As Christy and I were walking our, our two oldest kids to school on, on Monday for the first day of school, um, I had this kind of a, a thought that I should give my son a little pep talk. And so we're walking. I probably shouldn't have, but I thought I should. So anyway, we're walking along, and it's just about a block to get there. And, and I put my arm around him, and I said, I said, Aiden, I said, no matter what you're doing today, if you're in math, give it your best. I said, if you're at recess, three recesses, by the way. I don't think I got that, right? I said, if you're playing ball, give it your best. I said, man, if you're, you know, talking to somebody, man, give it your best. Everything you do, give it your, give it your best. And I could tell my speech to him was not memorable at all. Um, though it, it did seem like he had a little hop in his step, and, and I, I was thinking that maybe it had been memorable. But then he said to me, he said, Dad, is today a full day or just a half day? Okay. <laughs> I said, a full day of opportunity, son, a full day to give your best, right? <laughs> but it's as though this, I think, in this passage, it's as though the Apostle Paul, I think, really, seriously, he puts his arm around you and I, and he says, give God your best. Don't give God your leftovers. I mean, think about it. This is your one and only life. Give God everything you've got when you're at work. Work like nobody else. Work harder. Work with greater excellence. When you're at home as a parent, be intentional. Lead your kids to Christ. When you're in the crowd, this one hit me this week. When you're in the crowd and you see a lot of people, does your heart ever get rocked by the the reality that most of the people in the crowd probably don't know Jesus Christ? And one day they're going to stand before a holy God and give an account for their life. Let it rock you. When you're at school, don't be the kind of person that you're in it just for you. Look around and go, okay, how can I give my best in this environment? Who could use a word from me? You'll be glad you did, I promise you. Paul says this, he says, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And then he says, because you're, and I think he chose this word very carefully, because your labor in the Lord is not in vain, your labor. Now when I think of the word labor, I I don't think of easy. Those two words don't go together in my mind. Ladies who have given birth. Definitely, you don't associate labor with easy, so I've heard, right? A laborer is someone, right, who their job requires them to get dirty. Their job requires them to, to work hands-on. It's, it's challenging physically and mentally. Oftentimes, it's exhausting. I was a laborer on a masonry crew for a short time in college. I thought, it would, this is tough work. Paul said this, though, in chapter 3. He said, what are we? We are co-laborers with Christ. It's the reality that it's hard work. It takes intentionality. It takes living with this sense of urgency. A few weeks ago, Pastor Steve encouraged us. He was giving us a message on being intentional with the people in our lives that 
that don't know Jesus Christ. And uh, his application to that sermon was so helpful to me. I wanted to share it again with you. He said this. He said, I want you to go out and buy a journal. And he said, I want you to dedicate that journal to the people in your life that don't know Christ. And he said, write your name, write their names in the front of it, you know, list them out. And these are people that you care about. These are people that, you know, list them out. He said, people that you know, maybe it's your family members, maybe it's the person across the street, um, co-worker, whoever. He said, people that are in your life that don't know Jesus Christ, you care about them. And you know, you look at their life and you go, boy, I just wish they had the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. I wish they shared that. And he said, and in, in that journal, he said, write out your prayers for them. He said, write things out like, Lord, give me courage. Lord, would you increase my boldness? Lord, would you allow my heart to be one that's of compassion? And I'll tell you what, this has been so helpful to me. Because daily, I'm looking at this list of people that I love, that I care about, that I want to see experience life with Jesus Christ. And there are times when I just write in the journal, I say, Lord, today I just feel really busy. And honestly, I don't feel like I have time or even interest in these people or what's going on in their lives. And so I say, God, would you give me a heart, though, to slow down and to notice and to say and to be bold? God, would you help me with that? Allow me to ask you this morning, are you living with a sense of intentionality? Are you courageously sharing with others the hope that you have? The thing, another thing I've liked about this journal is I'm writing down things like this. Okay, I, this is how I would get in a conversation, and, and I'm writing down what I'm learning. If something doesn't go well, I'm writing that down. Going, I wouldn't say that again. Or, wow, this happened in my life. This would be helpful. It's a process. Let me ask you, are you frequently extending invitations? Hard questions, but are we living intentionally? Now, you may not be convinced by this verse yet. You might be asking, why? Why should I give myself fully? I mean, you're asking a lot today. Is it really worth it? I mean, caring for people, serving, it takes time, it's messy, it's not convenient. No one ever calls the church and says, hey, uh, we just wanted to let you know our marriage is going really well. And people, that doesn't happen, does it, right? Ministry is messy. It's not easy, is it? Not for anyone. So why would you do it? Why would you put yourself out there? Why would you walk across the street? Why would you extend an invitation? Why would you begin to pray intentionally for your coworker? Here's the reason why, and it's the coolest part of this verse. Why? Last part. Always gives your, yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Here it is. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. Before sp spending a summer in Turkey, I was with this group of college students, and they sent us to this week-long training camp. It's like a little boot camp, and they put us through all sorts of strange and trying things to, to kind of get us more mentally tough and ready to handle different situations that we might experience. And, but one of the things that they did to us one morning was they stood us all before this huge pile of dirt, and then they gave us two or three five-gallon buckets, and they said, okay, you've got X amount of hours. This pile of dirt needs to be moved from here and over to here, about 20 feet away. Now, we all knew that there was no reason that the pile of dirt needed to be moved. And so all morning long, with our hands into the buckets, moving this pile of dirt for absolutely no reason. And I'll tell you what, because there was no reason, it was torture, right? There was no point to it. It was in vain, labor in vain. You may have heard about the roofing crew this summer with all the hail damage, the roofing crew that got the address wrong. 
And they showed up to this person's house and they took off their entire roof. And then the homeowner showed up quite surprised. What do you say? Whoops. You know, wow. Labor in complete vain. In vain. Know this, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When you come early, when you stay late, it's not in vain. When you walk across the street and you build a relationship with someone, it's not in vain. Even when it doesn't go well, it's not in vain. When you pray intentionally, when you take some risks for the kingdom, it's not in vain. When you invest in a group of people and and maybe you open up your home to them, or you sit down and you, you listen to a teenager, it's not in vain. When you, when you lead a lesson, when you serve the community, when you're the kind of person that you, you hold a baby or you lead a toddler, it's not in vain. None of it. Why isn't it in vain? Because the Lord uses it. And this morning what we could do is this, we could fill this stage full of people who would say to you, okay, when you're kind of doubting whether you should continue on or whether you should give yourself, whether you should give your very best to the work of the Lord, we could load this stage with people that would say, I'm a product of someone that gave their best and God used that in my life and Jesus Christ gave his best and they would say to you, thank you and keep giving your best. Don't stop, give your best. Eugene Peterson, I love it. He paraphrased this verse like this. He said, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. When it gets messy, when it gets inconvenient, remind yourself it's not a waste of your time. It's not in vain. I think the message behind this verse is so important that I'm going to ask you to do something this week. Um, School is back in session, so homework is cool. So here you go. Um, You've got a card in your bulletin this morning. So you can take that out now or take it out when you get home. But here's what I want you to do with that. I want you to write this verse on the card. I want you to write out 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. And the reason why I want you to do that is because I think it would be so helpful for you to put this in front of you all week long. Give yourself seven days to have this verse down pat, okay? So seven days from now, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, let it be the kind of verse that you see it on the walls of your mind. It's right there. It's the kind of verse, honestly, it gets you out of bed in the morning. It's the kind of verse that, says to you, that, that allows you to say to yourself, okay, th- there's a reason why I'm doing this. There's a reason why I'm doing this, why I'm doing this, how I'm doing it, right? It's huge. So I want to ask you, would you do that this week, Okay. Deal? Not head? Three of you. All right, good. Any more? Four. All right. Hey, let's do this. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and and, uh, I want to do just one more thing. So, yeah, stand with me. As we pray, um, I just want to ask you, would you go before the Lord? You know, we're we're starting a new semester of ministry this morning. It's a big morning for us as a church. And would you go before the Lord now, and would you just say, Lord, whatever that looks like for me, whether it's sweeping, whether it's holding a baby, whether it's leading a group, whatever it would be, reaching out to an whatever it is, would you just say, Lord, I pray that your word would so grab my heart that it would motivate me not just to listen but to respond because Jesus Christ, you gave your best for me and Lord, now I want to give my best to you as an offering to you. So let's do that. Let's, let's pray to that end. Lord, we come to you this morning and Lord, I just imagine what would it be like 
What would it be like if our church, if we took one step forward on this, everybody together, and we said, okay, I'm going to give my best for the kingdom of God. I'm going to give my best to God because there's no doubt about it. Lord, you gave your best for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that this morning. And, Lord, I pray for the person who's maybe been serving you hardcore, and they are, honestly, they're tired and they're discouraged. And, Lord, I just pray that the truth of this verse would just resound in their mind today, that their labor in the Lord is not in vain. Lord, help us to remember that you change lives and that that's the greatest thing that we could be a part of. So, Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Before we sing, um, we're going to say this verse together, okay? So they're going to bring it up on the stage. And um, nice and loud, let's just uh, let's read this together. Ready? Here we go. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give hold to the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Awesome. Let's make this song our prayer.